what's your game, man? I mean, why you tell that dude I ripped off your jacket? Because I ain't going to let you blow a program for Weezy and for those other kids who want to take advantage of a good program. And I did it for another reason, too. What's that? Because when I was your age, I was a lot like you. Only smaller. <laughs> yeah, I was hip. At least I thought I was hip. In fact, I was so hip that I got busted for shoplifting and sent to reform school. You mean you got sent up? That's right. And while I was up there, I met a whole lot of other hip dudes who thought they were cool. You know where they are now? Either one or two places. Either the graveyard or jail. And the way you're going, that's the way you're going to end up. Hi, this is Marla Gibbs, also known as Florence on the Jeffersons, Mary on Tissue 7, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Good, Robertson. Welcome you back to TV Confidential Radio Talk Show about television. Happy to bring you part two of a conversation that began last week with Ernest Hardin Jr. and Jay Moriarty. Ernest played Marcus Henderson on The Jeffersons. He also has an extensive background in theater, both before and after The Jeffersons, while his motion picture credits include Three Days of the Condor, Taxi Driver, The Front, White Men Can't Jump, and the CBS world premiere movie White Mama, Starring Betty Davis, Jay Moriarty spent seven years as a staff writer, producer, and later showrunner of The Jeffersons. His memoir, Honking the House, takes you behind the scenes of The Jeffersons and Norman Lear's tandem productions in general. Ernest Hardin Jr., Jay Moriarty, and Marla Gibbs will all appear at the next Hollywood show, which will take place at the Burbank Marriott Hotel, 2500 North Hollywood Way in Burbank, California, on Friday April 15th, and Saturday, April 16th. For tickets and more information, hollywoodshow.com. Ernest, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, The Jeffersons is just one chapter in your life. It's just a chapter that has had many lives and and continues to reach many people. We've been talking about what a family atmosphere was amongst the, both the cast and the crew of The Jeffersons from day one to the end of the show. What's interesting is, like you... And like uh, Sherman and like Isabel and like Roxy and uh, Franklin, almost everybody came from the stage. And so you had you had a stage theater camaraderie. You automatically had that in common. I would imagine that helped bond you to every to everybody else as well. Yeah, I was. Um, well, I actually, you know, I started in New York, so I was in some plays. I I started a play with Virginia Capers who was um, she was on Broadway starring in a play called Raisin, but she wanted to do this play with me. And I came from, like I said, that whole theater background from, I graduated in theater from Michigan State University. So, I mean, in my mind, I always wanted to become an actor. I Even when I was, um, I was a kid, I used to record myself. There was one movie that was one of my favorite movies called The uh, Day the Earth Stood Still with Michael Rennie. And at like nine years old, 10 years old, whatever, when I see that movie on television, I memorized that speech of, we're leaving soon, and you forgive me if I speak bluntly. The universe grows small every day, and the threats of aggression by any groups can no longer be tolerated. We must be secure for all, though no one is secure. And this is at nine years old, I'm doing this. We have a race of robots. Their function is to patrol the planets and spaceships like this one and preserve. And I went on. And so 
I always felt that. And when I got out, I graduated, like I said, with a degree in theater and, um, and started doing theater in New York and then ended up later on joining the Actors Studio, which is pretty prestigious. It took me three times to get in to audition, but it took Dustin Hoffman six times. So I feel a little, <laughs> I'm not bad, yeah. you know, and, um, uh, I'm still a member because it's a lifetime membership and it's like a gym for actors. So every matter of fact, this is Friday. I just didn't go today. Normally on Friday, I'm at the actor studio and we're just working on scenes or doing something that uh, we think might work and that we can uh, produce. So yeah, the theater background is really um, something that's, that helped me. And, you know, Norman danced from Broadway. Norman. You know, Sherman, of course, he saw Sherman and Pearly, the movie, and, and he, it took him a while to find Sherman. Initially, they had cast somebody else for Lionel's father because they couldn't find Sherman, but he finally found him up in ACT in uh, San Francisco doing a play. But the point is that Sherman, if you look at, I mean, uh, Norman Lear, if you look at all his shows, like Maud and One Day at a Time with Bonnie Franklin, Maud with the Arthur, all these people are people that he saw on Broadway, and and he wanted to do plays, basically, you know, as I, as I mentioned in the book. Then Norman, he knew he wanted, every show we did was like a play, and we had a live audience, and he knew that the, he wanted actors that knew how to how to react off of a live audience. In fact, if you watch the Jeffersons, and I've been watching, you know, a number of them now since they've been on Antenna, they're so adept, the whole cast, at, at holding for laughs, you know, where a lot of actors won't, Really, they're not used to doing. If you're not used to doing a live show in front of, you don't know that you know you should hold. They just keep talking. But those actors are so good in the way they, you know, it's not that they just freeze. They kind of know how to whatever do, be quiet but still be in the play. You know what I'm saying? That's I actually saw Sherman. How they do that? I actually saw Sherman in that Broadway play. The name escapes me. Pearly. Pearly. That's right. And he played Gitlo. Yeah, and he yeah. was fabulous in it, you know. And, That's what uh, Norman Lear saw when he played Gitlo, yeah. Mm -hmm. I actually got to see it too, and it was it was great. So, yeah, I can see it. And then little Ralph Carter from Good Times mm -hmm. got cast from yeah, the play Raisin. I was just telling you, Raisin. Yeah. He was a little boy in Raisin, the musical version of Raisin in the, the Sun. Yeah. yeah. What's amazing with Gitlo, that character and all, this energy, Norman saw that somehow as being able to play opposite Isabel. When Isabel first saw this little guy who was littler than her and actually 20 years younger, she goes, you know, how could this little guy, she was, she made a remark about his neck. She would call him the neck. <laughs> but um, the two of them, I mean, that's kind of the brilliance of Norman realizing the two of them work together great. But the rest yeah. is history. She would keep them balanced. She'd keep the, the whole show grounded. Really. Isabel, you know, we refer to her as the queen, always be introduced as the queen last. And uh, yeah. kept that whole thing. And you know, it's, it's what I never, I don't know if Sherman, it's funny, he had the energy, people tune in to see Sherman pretty much. I think, anyway, that's just my estimation. But she got the image. And so it's amazing how that works. Yeah, well, you know, the whole Emmy thing is kind of so, but they, the show that she got it for 
Did you ever see in the doorknob it shined like yes. diamonds? Michael Moy wrote that basically oh, okay. on a person. Great script. Great script. He gets to play so emotional. Boy, I'm glad my mother's not here to see this room. She would have probably made me clean it up. <laughs> favorite corner. Oh, and my dresser used to be right here next to the bed. Whenever I woke up, I'd always have my toy dog, Ruru, to watch over me. <laughs> hey, I wonder whatever happened to Ruru. The interesting thing about that, too, is that two young girls are cast as, as Louise and her sister, so she's not even in the whole thing. But what she played, the comedy and the drama and the tears and the going back to see the house you grew up in it, it's being torn down, and then the memories then come of, you know, we cast the young girls to play the, you know. And, but but I think people who watch that show, how they do the Emmys, the Blue Ribbon Committee, that was submitted, they felt that she was the best actress that year in that, that show. Sherman, of course, is the, the energy, energizer bunny of the show. Right. You talent. It's only one of a kind. You can't, you can't, you couldn't match that. Sherman Hemsley was one of a kind. So is Ernest Hardin Jr. Ernest will be appearing at the next Hollywood show along with Marla Gibbs and Jay Moriarty on April 15th and 16th at the Burbank Marriott Hotel, hollywoodshow.com for tickets and more information. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. If you are a mental health professional, or know someone who is, want to tell you about a special three-day retreat coming up in May that is specifically designed for those who work in the mental health field. It is called The Immersion, a weekend of wellness, and it takes place in Malibu, California, Friday, May 6th through Sunday, May 8th. To bridge traditional methods, or Western thought, with such Eastern modalities as the mystical, the metaphysical, and the spiritual, The Immersion a weekend of wellness retreat offers mental health professionals a unique opportunity to heal their own minds and bodies while also integrating whatever ideas that they deem valuable into their existing mental health practice, all in a beautiful environment. For details and more information, email info at welltime.com, W-E-L-L-T-Y-M-E, info at welltime.com or if you're on Instagram you can follow welltime or you can follow Coda Life Goddess C-O-T-A Life Goddess on Instagram for details to come as well. Ernest, you mentioned you still study at the Actor Studio out here in LA. Does Lou Antonio still teach? Lou Antonio as well as um, well Martin Landau was he was actually the one, the main teacher there until he passed a couple of years ago. And now they have a woman named Salome and they're sort of the, um, moderators and Louis Antonio. Yeah. He, he's still, he's still there. And what the moderators do is sit there and they, you, you get to do a scene and you do a scene with someone and then they do it that day. And then they analyze and sit there. And anybody could be in the audience, you know. I'm not talking about general public, but... Any other members of the studio. You might find Al Pacino in the audience just looking. You might find Oscar winners. Yeah. uh, Emmy winners. Everybody is like, has achieved some level of success in the business. And they're they're there and checking you out. And there's no clapping after the scene. You might have worked your heart out. 
and they just look at you, okay, now we're going to analyze it. Because they look at scenes as if they're continuation. They call them rehearsals. No matter how good you do in a scene, they say that was a good rehearsal because they always believe in doing more and more and more. I mean, when I did the Jeffersons, I look back at the Jeffersons and say, gosh, you know, I, I, you know, I did the best I could at the time. And, and, and by doing that, I feel pretty proud of what I see when I'm on television. I said, okay, that was, wow. Okay. I, I wasn't bad, you know? And even Jay has um, talked about that. He said, you handled the comedy really well and, and, and the drama too. And so he thought that was good, but I know I'm a, better actor now than I was then because I have more life experience and having gone through places like the actor studio and and I could see where oh man I could have put this and done this and done that so uh, I think that's what happens to us you get more life experience you become better and that's what I am and um, as a matter of fact I'm in another book too I'm featured in this one Ernie is holding a book up to the microphone this is called Betty Davis Black and White I happen to have been fortunate enough to star opposite Miss Betty Davis, as we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And there's a chapter of me in this book, too. So these are my favorite books. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. Well, all right. Well, I'm trying to get away from that, but you won't let me. (laughs) It's all good. This book, Julia Stein, she wrote about the uh, Betty Davis's career mainly and her interaction with black people throughout her career and what was done and how systemic racism played um, a part in all of where she, what she did in her movies and how even her friends, how they had to, she would tell me stories of how she had to, they had to sit up in the balcony while she was to be on stage or, or screening over some movie she had because she, even though they were friends, they, they wouldn't allow them to sit right in front and all of that kind of stuff. And it was, it was really interesting. So that's a heavy book as well. And, um, and that's why when I was talking about Betty Davis, Betty Davis was so progressive. She was ahead of her time. She was a person that fought a studio. I think it was Warner Brothers that she just decided not to. She felt that women should be looked at as, uh, and, and have better roles and be have stronger parts and and uh, and not be a part of the studio system where they would sign you and you just were stuck in to do whatever they wanted you to do. She wanted to have more input into that, and she fought the studio. She moved to Europe and, and fought that studio tooth and nail. So she was always ahead of her time. And when we did this movie, the movie I did with her was called White Mama. It wasn't originally called that. It was a book that was called The House is Not a Home or something like that. And um, I, I looked around for that book. I can't find it. But that was the uh, name of the book. And as we, White Mama was untitled all, all while we filmed. But then afterwards, she fought for that title because in her mind, she thought that was the way to say, hey, I am playing opposite a black man. And, and I want the world to know it. So white mama. And so nobody argued with her because that was her. <laughs> you know, I am playing white mama. And the thing is, when we filmed, we got a lot of hate mail. 
we got a lot of hate mail, and I was surprised. This was like 1979, and I was a young guy, but, you know, I figured that, oh, man, the amount of racism in uh, show business and and even in the country was kind of like, it had to dissipate after 1968. That's when Martin Luther King got killed. And so that's how naive I was to to that. And um, and when all of a sudden we came from the set and we were riding together and her and Jackie Cooper, who also directed that movie, said that, uh, you want to hear this, Ernest? You want to hear some of these letters? And I say, well, yeah, what's the problem? She said, well, they're kind of strong. Said, no problem. I'm from Detroit. I know everything. <laughs> I've seen it all, right? But it was a, a surprising to hear them say, Betty Davis, I used to love you, but you're doing a movie with that N-word, and I'm never going to watch you again, and this and that, and we got so many letters like that. But she was courageous. She said, hey, I don't care what. You don't need to watch me anymore. And that's her attitude. And we, matter of fact, that's why I was just at, recently at the Hollywood Museum where I gave a speech about our relationship. And the thing is, to her to play my mom, that's how deep she had to get into a role that she wanted a real tight relationship with me. And we would talk every day on the phone. I'd come to her apartment. We'd eat. She'd cook and uh, have stuff for me. And we'd talk and discuss and talk about our future, talk about how do we like acting or do we want to direct. And I said, well, right now I love acting. She said, me too, Ernest. I mean, it was just that we talked about everything. She became a mom. She became a mom, and that's how she worked from the real, a real place. And I, I, that's just a, that was just a blessing to me to see how she coordinated her costumes. She made sure everything she wore was approved by her, how she looked on camera. If the guy wasn't shooting her right, he'd be fired the next day. People be <laughs> in dailies, they call dailies. You know about dailies, but dailies, when they look and see what they filmed the, the day before, and they would sit there, camera people would sit there like this, nervous. <laughs> because they don't know if they're going to be there the next day. Mm -hmm. There's so many of them. I said, what happened to him? You know? And uh, <laughs> she was something, man. She was, she was just a perfectionist. And uh, as a matter of fact, she had that power, too. When there was a difference in the script, they went into a room, and I remember all the producers, big suits, these guys, one woman, her name was Jean, Jean Moore. She was one of the producers. And they all went in the room, Jackie Cooper, everybody. Then they all came out. Jean Moore was crying. Um, the big suits were like, head down, everybody. And she come to me. I'm like, wow, I don't know what happened. But then she would come to me and say, all right, Ernest, everything's good. Let's work. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes, ma'am. You know, she was like that. Ernest Harden Jr. and Jay Moriarty will be appearing at the next Hollywood show in Burbank, California, Friday, April 15th, Saturday, April 16th. Ernie's other screen credits include the CBS world premiere movie, White Mama, starring Betty Davis. Ernie will share some more stories about working with Betty Davis when we continue our conversation on the other side of the break here on TV Confidential. 
be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.